Hey guys, it's Ellie with Atomic Moms. I'm recording this little intro in the bathroom while my daughter is in her playroom calling for me. This episode's awesome. It's with Mark Weber. He is an incredible filmmaker. Uh, I kind of geek out like Chris Farley on SNL. Um, I keep saying like, remember when? Yeah, that was awesome. You know, like how Chris Farley did it. Anyway, uh, you're going to want to subscribe on iTunes because they now only show our most 20 recent podcasts. And you're going to want to subscribe so that you can scroll down all of our podcasts and find our episode with Teresa Palmer, who is Mark Weber's wife. So that's your homework, everybody. Enjoy this episode. We love doing it. Uh, shout out to Bianca, who's on a flight right now to Montreal for work. And uh, stick around. Hey. Hello. Guys, we're in the studio and we're about to play for you an interview that we did this past week with an incredible human being. He is an actor, producer, director, daddy of two, husband. Uh, his name is Mark Weber. He comes through via Ellie, via Teresa Palmer. And um, when we did our interview with Teresa, he came with the kids. Yeah. And he held down the fort for like the hour that we were chatting with her. And um which I think is pretty special because he's such a badass. Like to to take on a seven year old and an infant at the same time in this weird recording studio that was not kid friendly at all. And he just like Yeah. He's awesome. Can I can I make a confession right yes. now? I almost said this in the interview with him, but I didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable because you never know with people. <laughs> but when my first marriage ended, uh, I would like – I was scouting out my next – like who – like because, you know, when something ends and you're really depressed and I felt like my whole world – literally the rug had just been pulled out from underneath me. My world came down around my shoulders. I'm being very dramatic about it right now. But – I was scoping out who my who trying to cheer myself up and be like who's out there still who could be a good candidate for me as a partner and I remember it was around the time I think uh The End of Love which is the movie that he wrote produced directed and acted in with his son came out and I think I saw something of him at Sundance and I was like oh that guy that guy seems awesome yeah, he's very soulful very soulful. and i feel really relieved that you said that because when he did the interview with us which you all will be listening to shortly i kind of went to cougar town on him <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and i have to admit that i have spent the past week kind of spiraling about why did i say how cute he was i love because Teresa. He is. i know he is and he's and he's very artistic and he's very charismatic and he and has all these tattoos and he's like such a bad boy <laughs> see there i go again see you have to live in my world which is my husband drools nightly over porn stars and models and his entire instagram account is naked women and you know this is life i we, love it they're not cougars they're just men <laughs> and, exactly yeah. exactly but we are very excited to bring you a papa and a great papa a, a papa who's getting out there in the world and and leaving his mark and and making beautiful art and also just really a dad with integrity and um, and I can't wait for everyone to hear what his backstory was yeah. and also his relationship with his mother and the things she's been up to you guys I was blown away yes it's good I'm excited for you to hear that what's going on with you 
We are potty training. Oh my gosh. We got a potty in the mail probably a month ago and she was super into it and then we sort of didn't really, you know, push it or yeah. or go for it. So then she lost interest in it. But now she's like super gung ho about it. And it's been really, really great. And I know it's supposed to be a lot easier for girls and boys. She has been so awesome. So how what does that process look like? Because I haven't even Well, I did not read any of the books. Yeah. <laughs> but our process has just been I'm so I proud of you, I by know. the way. Flying by the very, seat of your pants. Very intuitive. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> she, at first, you know, like when she first wakes up, we'll put her on the potty. Basically figuring out what her rhythms are, like when she pees, yeah. usually. And then if she hasn't gone in a while, we'll try again. And my husband started by showing her, well, you know, screen time, right? So, she, uh-oh. So she would sit on the potty and he'd show her little videos of the two of them so she loved that yeah and then if she peed we'd get really excited and I'd give her a frozen sticker and then um she's just she'll just go poopy poopy whether no matter what it is and um She's been really really consistent with it but at night right before we go to bed I mean she really drags it out it's yeah. like We'll go to the restroom. I'll sit on the tile floor for 30 minutes. We'll do the itsy bitsy spider because I'm trying to keep her on the toilet. And then she'll stand up and want to play around. And then I'll say, okay, time to go to our room. Then she'll be like, no, poopy, poopy. So then she sits back down. I mean, this is way oversharing. But she milks it because then I'll I'll pick her up to – put her to bed in the crib and then she'll go poopy and you don't want to so then I'm like ah is she just saying it yeah is she just saying it because she knows it's like a free ticket to like another 20 minutes yeah oh that's um, so that's been kind of tricky how do you even know when it's time to start like what is there a is there something that they say that's like a good indicator when your kid's ready to start trying to potty train I have no idea I saw a I saw a potty at a friend's house. Their son was the same age. And I was like, oh, I wonder if we should get her one. And so we just did. And she, yeah, the first month that we weren't hardcore about it at all. And now she still uses diapers, sometimes pull-ups. But she's been so good about, like, knowing when the sensation is there and going to the restroom. And then, like, when she goes number two, it's like, you know – I, it's like I just got a raise or something. I get so excited. <laughs> it's so funny. The- Have you seen those? Um, when I was up in Seattle uh, visiting a, an old friend of mine and her daughter, they had this little toilet that's just the seat and then it's just open in the bottom so you can take it with you like to the park. And then you just poop you just on the floor. put it on the ground, and that they seems like, so unsanitary. I know. Or I, are you supposed to put it on an adult toilet? No, it's literally like a take along toilet. Like it's meant for if you're you somewhere. hear what I'm saying, because that's a good idea. Like do a small toilet on thing top that of could the, go on a yeah. real toilet. Oh, absolutely. But this no, one, this is literally just a. This is one. I guess it's for like if you're potty training and you're somewhere like at a park or where it wouldn't be that terrible for your uh-huh. kid to go outside. I don't know. I did think it was kind of. <laughs> Like it seemed weird to me. We'll like look we're into d- that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of parks, I was at the park uh, yesterday with Magnolia and with our neighbor and her little girl who is about eighteen days older than Magnolia. And the, it's so fun. Like it's so fun now because they're starting to 
like it seems like they have little friendships. Like she gets really excited when she sees Carly mm-hmm. coming over and um, we'll go meet at the park. They live literally around the corner from us. So we were at the park and Carly was playing with like this little wheel thing. And this boy who's probably about four or five came over and kind of like started to spin the wheel away from her. And she got really upset. And something in him shifted immediately. And it was really odd because he you could he got visibly stressed out by the fact that she was crying. Mm-hmm. And then he started to try and put his hand over her mouth, which was really weird because there was like an intensity to it. And my neighbor was so awesome because she just handled it so well. She said, no, it's, it, let her cry. It's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. She needs to – but she needs to be okay to just cry this one out. Well, he wasn't having it. And he was so intense and so bent, hell-bent on uh, putting his hand over her mouth that it started to get really uncomfortable. And I had such an insane experience myself with it because I started to get very angry. And I I got obviously protective because we were sitting right there too. But I found myself getting angry at him like I would if it were an adult Mm -hmm. doing it. Like you don't – do not act this way towards our little ones. And I said, you know, please stop. Please don't put your hand over her mouth. And then Denise was so great and she grabbed him and kind of just removed him from the situation. She just she just gently pushed, you know, took him, picked him up and put him to the side. And, and you know, I saw her just talk to him for a second. And I Where see, is his parents? Well, nobody was around. We looked around and there wasn't anybody there. And then – he started crying and then a mom came over and she said you know oh did he hurt her and and my neighbor was like no he 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 didn't but he really was not okay with her crying and the woman said oh yeah since he was a baby he doesn't like he gets stressed out when babies cry Mm -hmm. um he doesn't like it when babies cry and so he's like yeah 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 (laughs) yeah yeah. i've been there (laughs) trying to shut her up (laughs) And afterwards, I was thinking about it. I felt so bad for him because he was clearly heartbroken. And he was probably so shaken when a woman, from his point of view, a woman, just a stranger picks him up. Yeah. I mean, she was him. just trying to I move know she him was, out of the situation. For, from his perspective, yeah. that would be like freaky um, to have a stranger touch you. Well, and I, the, and then it was, it was afterwards I felt so bad because I was trying to analyze my reaction to it and that I got so angry. I mean, I didn't like – I have like, an idea. What? Well, you tell me yours first. No, no. Am I going to play Shrink now? This yeah, is great. I like it. I'm curious what triggered – did someone in your life or did a man ever want to put his hand on your mouth and shut you up or not let you have your feelings? No, it wasn't about – it wasn't about that. It's funny. It's happened a couple times now in the last week because we've been – I've been taking Magnolia to a lot of fun places around our house like playgrounds and then all these like little – cafes where they have Mm -hmm. um, play places and everywhere we go inevitably there's one child who's too rough and at one place we were at last last week this little girl who was and they're always older they're always kind of in that three to four range for no reason came up behind magnolia and just shoved her from behind Mm -hmm. um, with both her hands and and I've noticed that, that there's that there's something in me that's not saying like, oh, they're kids. They don't really understand what they're doing. And maybe it's misplaced anger like at the parents and I'm getting – but I said it to Mike too because Mike was talking about how there was a little boy who got Magnolia. There was, there was a ball and a small ball at the park and she was like – and she says bubbles a lot. And she's mm-hmm. like, bubble. And he said this kid came up to her and goes, no, it's a ball. And Mike said he got so like – it's like – 
she doesn't know what she's saying. He's like, I, I started to get frustrated with the kid. And it's so funny. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I, I was trying to just kind of see where that comes from. Where does that, that annoyance or that frustration, where for me, it was a little bit of that anger coming up at yeah. this child who clearly doesn't know any better. Um, and I think that part of it may be that in all of these instances, there hasn't been a parent around. So maybe it's misplaced. that the, yeah. that the But it's so funny because we did a whole podcast where you are so gung-ho about free-range parenting. And now you're pissed off that the parents aren't around. <laughs> well, to... but I think it goes – yes, you're right. But I, but I think that the reason I'm saying that is if you have a kid – because every time when the f- parent finally shows up, they've said – like the 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 girl at the um, play place who was who pushed Magnolia, her mom finally came over and said, "Oh yeah, we had to stop going to this other play group because she learned that, and now that's all she does." Yeah. So what we talked about in the free range podcast was about knowing your child and that it's important to know your child. And I think that if you know, which clearly all of these parents, that your kid tends to do this kind of thing, then you it's on you to be around to watch if they do do that right. because. Someone else shouldn't be parenting your child. That's true. Well, definitely no one else should be parenting – or my perspective is no one else should be parenting your child. But also maybe those parents have been told just be, play the other side for a second is like maybe they've been told don't micromanage your kid every second. Or like you know, obviously don't hurt a child. But there's also yeah. – I mean there's a lot of times where parents want to have their child – do conflict resolution on their own. I mean, ripe parenting is a lot about that. Like yeah. you don't the parents don't just jump in and try and fix everything all the time. Right. If the kids are fighting over a toy, let them kind of duke it out right. as long as it's safe. And I that's maybe the other side of it. Listen, I don't jump in right away, but if it starts to get a point where I feel like like the little girl pushing Magnolia well, or the guy your own child you want to you want to step safe. in where it gets a little nutty. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to hear from the listeners, you guys, if you have a story of Maybe something that happened when you were at a playground or playgroup or whatever, and how you how you dealt with it. I'm very curious to hear how other people ch- deal with aggression yeah. in other kids because it's, it's so interesting. Because for me too, I feel like Sabrina's so strong that I'm not worried about it, or or like that's not she gets pushed down all the time at her my gym class, yeah, and um or you know boys will crawl over her or they'll try and take away her toys and I just let her do her thing and she's able to but I'm not but I'm not talking about those kids because there, definitely there's kids that are just having fun and they don't notice it I'm not talking about those kids I'm talking about th- that on four different occasions now at four different places there has been a child that seems to be almost obsessive with their aggression where it's there's something in there's an intensity about it that feels unsafe and um, with with all of the kids that had this, the parents knew about it, and right. and stated, "I know she does this thing." So that's what, what I'm wondering about. What do you want them from from them though? Like, what do you want from that parent um, to not to let be, them go? To or? be the, no, to no, they can go, but then be there. It, I don't, you don't have to be on top of them holding their hand, but at least be within. None of these parents have been in the vicinity to even see what's happening. So if you know your child has an aggressive aggressive issue. Obviously, I'm not saying don't take them to these places, but then be there. Be at least within eyes, you know, uh, where you can see your child. This woman at the park was not even in. Vi- we couldn't see her. We didn't couldn't even see her. She had no idea what her kid was doing. So yes, I think it's important to let your kids play and whatnot. But like, we also have to be held responsible if your kid has some weird thing where they like are trying to hurt another child. Like there was the, this other girl at this other place. I, I I don't know how to explain it other than to say like. 
she it, she wanted to grab Magnolia, and you could see she was clenching her jaw that she wanted to grab her as hard as she could and squeeze like she had her, her had her hand around her arm. Um, it was really kind of scary. Like it's and it, and it's not your child, so you don't know how to talk to them. Of course, you know I don't I don't know what I don't know what the issue is. I don't know what you're. So I guess for me, we should I'm, have a specialist on too about like I would how, love that how we can. Uh, what's the best way to sort of like diffuse uh, yeah diffuse yes. the situation and keep your kids safe but like respect the other kids boundaries and like whatever the other I agree. kids parents have gone I don't, on I don't I think I think what happens is I'm acting out of I think the anger is from fear because I right. don't I don't understand it's your mama it. bear yeah and I her. yeah I mean I and I'm also I've been very territorial like that like I love mm-hmm. calling parking enforcement on cars that are parked illegally around our house because it makes me (laughs) Bianca it makes me so angry it's like how could you be so callous and block our driveway yeah Yeah, this is a whole nother story anyway I think we should probably uh, zen out a little bit before our guest (laughs) before our guest interview we'll be right back Oh boy, oh boy! Just got a little hotter in here, <laughs> and uncomfortable, I, Ellie. I thank am you. such a like. I am a cougar in training. I can't help it. Thank you for coming, oh, Mark Weber. You. It's an honor to have you as our guest. Thank yes. you, guys. Thank you, and we're we're so excited because Mark is not only a great dad, which we've witnessed in. I, I saw for one little minute, but I could tell. Uh, he That's had the cool. whole the whole crew uh, under his wings while Teresa was doing our podcast, but also an acclaimed filmmaker and uh, everything. You wear so many hats and you do it all. Actor, and- director, producer, you guys are writer. Me feel really good about myself right now. <laughs> Thank you. It's always good to have on the podcast people who are getting out there and doing it because I think like such a big thing about parenthood is you feel so overwhelmed and it's mm-hmm. hard to even imagine getting yourself out of bed every day. So mm-hmm. to go forward and actually then produce works of art and, and do creative things and I mean it's very inspiring I think for people to hear how you do that. So can we just start off by talking about being a parent and working and how that's been for you and traveling and all of the amazing things that you do. And how old is Isaac? Yes. Isaac just turned seven. Okay. Seven. And Bodhi? Is- 16 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little bit of an age gap there. <laughs> um, it's been great. I mean, with, with Isaac, in terms of working and being a dad at the same time, I just wrote him into a movie that I made. So yes, and that, that was, movie was called The End, End of, of Love. Love. Yeah, and that was that was really cool. I mean, I at that time I was looking to make my next film, and Isaac was born, and then I had that idea of like, wow, I've never really seen a movie about a single dad in an authentic way before. And so that was cool. It was convenient for me to basically fold my kid into my work. I know, but it wasn't. Come on, be honest. Mm-hmm. How convenient is it to <laughs> uh, film with a toddler? Let's be clear. First I of all, know. for our listeners, you can find this film, The End of Love, on iTunes and also on Amazon. So you can watch it tonight. But how old was Isaac when you shot the film? He just turned two. Okay. So you have a two-year-old and this whole movie is like you guys. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's a buddy dramedy, mm-hmm. if you totally, will. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And it's, for parents out there 
which and only parents listen to us, so I don't know why I'm saying that for parents out there. I've that's not true. I've never. Oh no, you're right. You're right. Oh, thank you. We yeah. have sitters. We have a lot of people. Well, we have a lot of like, people who write us who say that they haven't had a kid yet, but they're like learning. From. Yeah, and some that don't even want kids, and they still listen to us, which is like the biggest, highest, really cool. highest compliment. That awesome. Okay, so I'm sitting there watching the film, and I've never seen such a realistic depiction mm-hmm. of a father and child interacting mm-hmm. and it was so realistic it almost felt voyeuristic cool um, yeah you have to talk to us about how convenient and also inconvenient it would be to shoot with a toddler but first of all i want to know how did you know he was going to be a good actor <laughs> because i didn't i mean yeah. that was the thing about the whole thing that it was so exhilarating and crazy because it was just this huge experiment for me and so much was on the line for me as a filmmaker and as a dad too and it was really just an extraordinary process i really found my voice as a filmmaker on that movie and how i like to work as an artist it was really hard it was it was really really hard but the hard stuff is the good stuff and and so I'm I'm happy that we went through this thing together and now I have this beautiful time capsule to share with him eventually at some yeah. point. There's one scene in the bathroom and I remember looking it's so beautifully shot too that I was like, Oh my god, I would just want to take stills from this mm. and like plaster it all over my house, like if you were Yeah like in my family. Because it's such a it it will be an amazing time capsule. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's really cool to have that and as a gift for him, you know. Can you give a us older. a little like log line of what the film is about? Because I'm. It's about a single dad struggling to raise his toddler after a sudden loss in his life. So, it's about a man who's grieving, but really can't, you know, and and death and life and death and and parenting so those are the the themes of the film it's so ambitious to imagine writing and directing and producing this and then also you're concerned about your child or like you know Mm -hmm. playing off of him and when i read something about like when he would sleep you'd be like okay everyone go home Mm -hmm. it's nap time Mm -hmm. and then they'd come back two hours later Mm -hmm. and that there wasn't any sort of manipulation with him you were just sort of play off of him yeah he was in charge and and so you've got that going and then also that you're playing a character who's in deep mourning yeah that was the thing that I didn't really anticipate being as hard as it was initially. I was more concerned about, okay, we have to shoot on really small cameras. We can't have a crew. Isaac just has to think that we're making videos like that we would make on my phone. And I didn't really consider the impact of just the subtlest of shifts in my mood around him, which once I started to realize, oh, he's realizing that dad's kind of a little out of it. Just because in normal life, I'm so engaged and so present with him and we're having fun. So I was really, I had to really overcompensate for the work. And we worked in really short bursts. So basically, I mean, some of our days were a half hour and that was it. 
everyone, you know, everyone will go home. We're oh my done. God, that sounds like a dream day. job. It was, yeah, it was for the, you know. How, how long did it take to shoot the entire thing? It was a couple months. Yeah. We uh, started just before the holidays, you know, a few years back. So like, you know, we shot for a little bit, then we took a little bit of a break and then we shot some more. There's one scene uh, near the end where you guys kind of go camping mm-hmm. for a moment. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering what your inspiration for that moment was. My it own, felt very yeah. spiritual. Yeah. It was, it, I think for me too, it was a, a bit of having to do with my childhood. You know, I was, I literally, I had to live out on the streets with my mom. It was a way of kind of recreating just the extreme situation for this guy and his kid and also just was the ideal way of depicting complete hopelessness and and just not knowing what to do and how when you're in pain and you're suffering you can make some irrational choices and just playing on the duality of how a parent and someone can be one place and things are actually really awful, but your child, you can manipulate the situation where they're okay, you mm-hmm. know? They don't know that you're miserable, yeah. <laughs> or at least you hope they're not picking up on it as <laughs> right. much as it's really it is in reality. And I don't want to give it away, obviously, for people that are going to watch the film, but I thought it was so beautiful because, yeah, it's like an erratic moment. The father seems to be acting out of anger and desperation, sort of, and not Mm -hmm. knowing what to do. And so they get in the car and then they go up and they're up at Griffith Park, right? Yeah. Well, actually, we shot in Beachwood. Okay, Beachwood. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this is all like five minutes. We all live in the same neighborhood. And I thought that was such a beautiful choice, too, because it felt like it was you were getting back to nature, though. It wasn't a destructive choice of like, oh, we're going to go. I was like, oh, he'll go to some other friend's house and there'll be some thing horrible going on it wasn't that it was like i'm getting myself out of the situation we need to get back in touch with nature mm-hmm. look up at the stars and then my favorite moment is when he's like okay let's go home yeah. like and that felt like such a perfect like god as a parent there's so many times when i'm like oh well maybe this will this will be the big thing mm-hmm. and then you're just like ah oh, crap okay it's not but that's okay we tried it it didn't work out totally. but it was um god it was so it's a very meaningful film, and and everyone should watch it. Thank you. Um, has Isaac seen the movie? No, no not he yet. hasn't. Not yet. No. Do you have like an idea of when you think it would be okay for him to watch? Or I uh, yeah, I think as early as next year. That's yeah. on the early end of it. I had ten in my head for some reason. Yeah, but he's getting there. He's getting really close. But does he remember it? Does he know? Yeah. Well, yeah. the funny thing was initially, you know, I wanted to protect him from it. I didn't take him up to Sundance and parade him around the Mm -hmm. film was enough he didn't consciously say yeah i want to star in a film that's gonna go to sundance and then come out dad so i i didn't want him to start getting praise for his performance and being a really good actor at two years old and then him seeking Mm. that praise and wanting to become an actor because it was kind of put on him so i knew that if you were to have some too much awareness surrounding what it means and his impact on people through what he did in the film at too early, it would be detrimental. So 
I really kept it from him, but we would go out to the store and people would just like go right up oh to him. God. You were amazing. <gasps> and Isaac would just like look at me like, what's going on? Um, I mean, how does it feel to know that you've worked with the best actor you will ever work with the rest of your life? There him, will, there's no better actor. I tell him that all the time. He knows it. Now he like messes around with me, you know. He's like, I can't wait to see the end of love. <laughs> That movie yeah. I starred in is going to be on his funny. college application. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about your own childhood? Because totally. you touched on that mm-hmm. for a moment with the scene in the film. There's there's like two weeks notice mm-hmm. for them to leave where they're living. So with your own mother, she was a Green Party nominee for vice president in 2012 mm-hmm. for the presidential election, which is Crazy. like wild. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so amazing. Bizarre. So Every, our listeners are like, wait, what? You guys were like living on the streets and then she's presidential, vice presidential nominee. So can you talk to us a little bit about your mother and your relationship with her? Yeah, wow. I that's There's so much there. I What's the kind of distilled version of it all is my mom had me when she was 16. So she was still a kid herself. She left an abusive situation at home and met my father in a halfway house who was a heroin junkie, got pregnant with me, 16. And then my first year of my life, we lived in her car. And then basically just a whole whole childhood of poverty and homeless at various periods throughout my childhood but the most distinct period was from when I was 10 till almost 12 and that was you know straight up living on the streets with my mom who then became um an activist yeah how did she become an advocate from living on the streets like how did she out of just necessity initially it was having really no other choice and something snapped in her where she was doing everything by the book you know she had a job and we had a place and she was working her ass off and it still wasn't enough and so when she realized that a lot of other women and children were in the same situation and weren't lazy or on drugs or cheating the system she started to get really angry about it and felt she needed to do something about it and so she started organizing other poor women and children who were in the same situation as ourselves and then that just became her life you know she's just led a life of service since that point and just it's her calling, you know, it's her passion is to take care of other people really and want people to be okay. So that's the way I was raised. I mean, there was a lot of really difficult, hard situations that I was in that I don't want any kid to have to experience. And I get really sad about the fact that there are kids who are going through what I went through and in far worse situations but I'm glad that I had that experience in my life, um, especially, you know, now being in a world that seems so far away from that. It's a great way to stay, I think, connected to things that 
matter most in the world. And the main reason why was by having just an incredible mom. You know, I, I don't know now being a parent with two little guys, like I don't know how someone has a baby when they're 16 years old and sleeping in a car. I'm like, that just blows my mind. And then I, I turned out like, okay, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Like that experience in my life as a parent now, it, it puts a whole weird spin on just being a, a, a quote unquote, like conscious parent, you know, it's really, um, I don't know, just to riff on that for a second. It's yeah, really, what does it's that just, mean to you? It's just really interesting. It's like, I'm in this constant kind of pull of knowing that like I didn't eat organic food and I was vaccinated, you know, and I was pumped full of junk and raised on a TV and sat in front of a video game system. And I'm a good man now, you know, but I, and it's, and my children like eat organic and, I'm a little freaked out by like getting all the vaccines at once, you know, and it's just, just this interesting kind of place to be in navigating through. Okay. There were some things about my childhood that definitely really served me. And just about knowing, picking and choosing and applying like that to this kind of new, new perspective that I have and exposure to things that, my younger self or my mother just didn't have. How uh, did you find storytelling in the environment you were growing up in? I was just, this, it was like a pure, like, um, escapism. I mean, I was surrounded by media, you know, I would. Oh, when wow. your mother became an advocate. Yeah. Even just uh, I, when I was younger though, too, you know, like I, if I, the rare chance that I got to see a movie and okay. like sit and watch TV, things like that. Like I just fell in love with storytelling as a way to escape the pain and feeling. Mm -hmm. It was a coping mechanism when I was younger, you know, and the idea of once I figured out that, these were actors playing the superheroes that I was obsessed with. I was like, that's what I want to do. And they're rich. You know, like, <laughs> it seems like a no brainer. They live in fancy houses. Like I'm going to yeah. do that. And then on a certain level, I think I was encouraged and like touted for a natural ability because I was just having to hustle to get by. I was lying to people i was protecting myself and lying to people around me that i wasn't homeless like my friends because of a deep-seated shame and i just i became a good actor from lying from real life <laughs> I, I imagine also like that that would help with producing <clears throat> and everything else like you've got to be able to mm -hmm. convince people of things to like jump on board how did you as a as a filmmaker have sort of the confidence and energy to say, I'm going to do this mm -hmm. because everyone out there, like if you have an idea, it's like, it's such a, God, there's such a huge difference between being like, I've got this great idea mm -hmm. and then actually making it happen and the amount of work involved yeah, in doing what you've done and getting other people convinced before there's even a thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't imagine that, I mean, watching your mom or being present to your mom's journey, I mean, it seems like getting 
you know, a movie made is small potatoes when you've watched right. someone go from homelessness to being an advocate and really pulling. I mean, you have to literally to be a pull vice yourself presidential nominee up by your own bootstraps <laughs> yeah. to do that. So, I mean, it sounds like it's really within you innately. It definitely started there. I mean, my mom was teaching me the secret before the secret was like a, <laughs> a thing. You what know? would she say to you? She was like, she would encourage me to dream. And to love myself. She had me doing affirmations when I was, you know, four or five years old. I'd have to sit in front of a mirror and say, I love myself. I love myself. (laughs) Um, So it started there for sure. And then it was also like I, you know, having a mom who was like, yeah, you don't need a fallback plan. You know, when I was in high school and stuff, my mom was like, yeah, you, you know what you want to do. This has been your dream. Like, it'll happen. Like, just mm-hmm. make it happen. Whereas I knew some kids around me had parents who were like, you need that an actor? That's not really going to work out for you. And so I had the right amount of encouragement. And then also just, like, came up during a time period and around a group of people where, like, uh that's just what it was like you just you did what you said you were gonna do like you just you people you know around guys who were just like proving themselves and and integrity was like important you know and I came out of like a a group a crew of little guys we were all listening to you know hip-hop at a time period where it was like being like a poser was a bad thing or like a biter you know or or not being original or not being mm-hmm. unique or true to yourself was like a corny, cheesy thing to do. You know, right. that's what we called it then. And so I also benefited from that. It was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be me and I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to make that work because I'm good enough and I have something to contribute. So I think that that helped when I first came into the acting world and also just like sheer ignorance too. like I didn't sit and take in the amount of numbers of people trying to do exactly what I was trying to do. And I just never thought that I wouldn't do it as well. There's a scene in the film where you go to an audition and the audition doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting there watching the movie and I'm like, uh, because he has to bring his son to the audition, uh, which is like a nightmare. <laughs> I've talked about that with commercial auditions, but mm-hmm. never. But it was like a mm-hmm. big one. And I was watching it and I was thinking, this is an audition that's not going well, but his audition is so good. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like really? I was like, your character is a very good actor. <laughs> and I mean, so that's part of it too. I mean, you just have... I don't know. I've, it's ugh. everyone needs to watch this film. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. Thank do you. you feel like, and this is kind of a spazzy question, but do you feel like is there any part of you that worries because you talked about your boys and how amazing they have it and they eat all these organic foods? Mm-hmm. Do you worry sometimes that because everything is so great and supportive and you had this charge to kind of move forward and make something of yourself that um do you worry about that not being there for them i don't here's why because i'm not that i'm not checked out you know i would be worried about it if i felt myself checking out 
You're and, not. I mean, we ran into you at Target once oh, totally. with the kids and Teresa. And I was like, this is like the one time I've gotten Adam to Target. So it was like this <laughs> little like family powwow over yeah. uh, by the Starbucks or the pizza yeah. area. But like I'm, you are there with them all the time. Oh, totally. I am so my, – I mean my mom – my mom still lives in the hood. She lives in one of the worst neighborhoods in the world, you know, and she's never going to leave. Even if I wanted to check out and say, all right, you know, I'm ready to just live in my nice house and worry, stay in my little bubble and just worry about my family. I wouldn't be allowed to. Yeah. And, and do you let the kids visit her there? Yeah. And I also, uh, Bodhi hasn't been to Philly yet. Isaac has, but I just, yeah, so no, I'm not worried about it, but I'm, so I'm conscious of it and I'm very aware of reminding Isaac, Bodhi not yet, because he gets to just yeah. be smothered with little <laughs> love cuddles. But Isaac, like the rest of, you know, a lot of people don't have, most people don't have pools, you know, like starting just there and yeah. just, and not in a way to make him feel guilty. It's not about shaming him or making him feel like some type of guilt for living this life. It's just like the whole world doesn't look like Beachwood Canyon. Yeah. And and just about being compassionate and loving and kind. It starts there. If you're and they and I see it with them, you know. I see it with Isaac and I see it with Bodhi. There's just a a gentle loving kindness about them and that's a great start. Well, and you guys travel so much. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think that the best lessons and education you can ever give to your kids is to see the world. I mean, it's shocking to me. And I understand that some people just don't have the means or the ability to do it. But the most I feel like I ever picked up about what is around me is when my family traveled. Yeah. Um, and how do you guys do that? How is that work with family and traveling so much and um, you guys seem to stick together. I know, and... You guys are shooting films all over the world. And when <laughs> I know. Teresa was on, she mentioned that Bodhi's passport had like 11 stamps or something it's on 13 it. 13 now. 13 <laughs> countries. 13 like... countries. And he's under two. I know. It's so, it's totally absurd. It's, oh, wow. How do we do it? It's, we got a little system. I mean, we're definitely really lucky, you know? Teresa and I, I think the reason why we we work so well together is that we have very real straight up conversations about the field that we're in and all the weirdness surrounding it. We're really interested in ego and how that affects ourselves and our relationship. And so things like, so when that's part of a conversation of like, okay, you've got a job now and, and okay, I've got a job. How do we make this work? It makes a lot of that easier just on a base level because there's a, there's just a real connection there in terms of, you know, the stuff that really matters, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So for me, it was easy communicating. Yeah. Communication is really great. So I'm like, okay, you got a movie that shoots for six months around the world. Like, (laughs) I'm going to use that as an opportunity to write. And so I can, we can keep the family together and I'm not going to pursue a job that's going to shoot in Atlanta when we're meant to be in Italy, you know, things like that. And we're lucky that we both do the same thing and we know what it's like to be on sets and what that looks like and what that feels like. Yeah. 
and the amount of time that is required of the other person and the space that that person needs to do the work that they need to do. And Is there anything that you do so that you're able to leave the work at work? Like, mm-hmm. I imagine that if you're shooting something where you're super depressed or even editing the end of love, like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine editing that film and not, like, how do you shake it off so that you're able to be present for your children? Teresa is an expert at that. I'm learning. I'm getting better at that. I have a daily meditation practice now, which really helps me in all aspects of my life. So I'm very grateful for that because for me, I work, I'm like leaving work. So I'm always working in my brain. I'm, you know, dealing with some pain and suffering and like brooding and Mm -hmm. thinking and creating and emoting. And it's like um, pretty cliche sometimes. Um, Teresa can do a scene where, I mean, when we did our film together, the ever after she would just lean into me and I really felt like she hated me and it hurt and I would be so sad and she would just be so fine. (laughs) It was really, it blew me away. I don't know how, I, I don't know how she does that, but that's her, like that's her in life. Like, like we'll get in a fight and she's like, yeah, we got in a fight. So what? Mm-hmm. Carrying on. I'm like, mm-hmm. but that's, we got in a fight. Like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. She's such a bright light. She uh, is a bright light. She's a bright light. And there's something about Australians. They are just kind of like, whatever. It's true. Yeah. That's half why they're so attractive. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're such beautiful people. I know. It's and they sick. do. They're so relaxed. And they have so much fun. Like they mm-hmm. lean into the fun. I know. Yeah. It's true. Well, thank you so much for being on. Oh, totally. This was so much fun. Thank yeah. you, guys. It would be great to get you and Teresa on sometime together. Oh, yeah. It would be awesome to have Let's like a, tag team it. a couple sessions. Of course. Maybe we'll get the, maybe we'll get the whole crew together. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let's, <laughs> do, let's, have a, we'll do, let's do that. A round table of sorts. <gasps> well, thank Thanks you. for having me, guys. Thank so you. Much. It was an honor. Cool. That was so cool. He's fantastic. Isn't he wonderful? Yeah. I mean, I love when we have our dads on, you know, and and the dads that we have had on are um, not our dads, obviously, but the the dads, the dads around us. The atomic dads. The atomic dads. The atomic dads, yes. Yeah. I just, there, it's been, we've had such an interesting collection of them. We haven't had your husband on yet. I know. He's going to come on very soon. We'll get him on. We're going to have him on. It'll be great. Um, But I thought Mark Weber was so generous in sharing his story his backstory and about his process and when you watch this film you're gonna realize i mean it's just oh he just seems like a big heart like he's just like this big pulsing heart and you're just like wow but i I loved i loved what he said about how present he is you know that's such a I think that's such an anomaly these days, you know, with everything that's going on to that he feels so confident with his kids because he knows how present he is. Um, and you and you felt that it was very grounded when he said that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, well, hopefully we can get him back. I, mean, I would love to have him and Tez on together. It would be such an For awesome sure. thing. So, um, and so our mom session today is Teresa Palmer, his wife. She has a thing on YouTube called Tez Talks, and we mentioned it once when we interviewed her 
but I think it's definitely worth everyone revisiting on YouTube called Tez Talks, like TED Talks, but Tez Talks. And um, she's so honest and vulnerable and gutsy and open about sharing her experiences too. And you're like, wow, this is such a dynamite couple. Yeah, they really are. So check out Tez Talks. That's our mom session today. Awesome. And my mom bomb today comes from... Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, one of my favorite. He's the German Shakespeare. He has this quote that is so beautiful, and and I've been waiting and holding it kind of for the right show to to say it, and I feel like based on Mark and also Teresa's kind of how they support their children, it seemed perfect. There are only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, the other wings. I thought that was so pretty. Yeah, that's it for, for today's show, this week's show. We'll see you guys next week. It's summertime. It's summertime. We're, I feel like we're all flying off to uh, to fun locales and doing fun things. And, uh, and Ellie and I have been, like, pumping out the shows to try and get them all uh, backlogged up. So we make sure we get to you guys every week because it's so important to us. And uh, just remember, trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on. Atomic Bombs. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.